This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. So our new sermon series uh, based on the fruit of the Spirit, we've, we've got some time to talk. We've got nine, nine fruit and nine weeks that we're going to cover those. So what I'd like to do through this series is to talk each week about the, the, the Holy Spirit. The, the work that's done in us by his presence, and also to talk specifically about each fruit. So today we're going to begin uh, with this passage from Galatians that instructs us about the, the fruit of the Spirit, and, and then we'll talk specifically about love today. Next week we'll continue on in that, in that manner. Let's turn together to Galatians chapter 5, beginning verse 22. If you've got a Bible with you, please open, read along with me. The words will be on the screen behind me, and if you have a tablet or phone, you want to use the YouVersion app, you can search under events for Parkview Finley, find scripture and sermon notes there as well. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance. Maybe, maybe you memorized that to say patience there instead of forbearance. That's, that's what I memorized as a kid. Forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. So we'll begin with kind of an obvious statement, but something necessary for us to talk about all the same. The, the fruit of the Spirit are produced by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. That's where they get their name. That's how we see them working. These are traits within us, produced by the Holy Spirit. Now, these, these traits are things that we also already possess in some degree on our own. And that's what makes this a difficult conversation, because there's a tension in us, recognizing the, the, the love and joy and, and the patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control that we, we already can accomplish in, in some degree by our own will, by our own effort, through our own perspective. But the fruit of the Spirit are the purest expression of these traits. They are, they are the, these traits in, in perfect form that, that we see in God, that we see in, in His example that we then emulate, that we, we see reproduced in us by the power of the Spirit working in us. They've been given to us, but they've been demonstrated for us by, by God. The temptation that we face is knowing that we have bits of these fruit in our lives already is to take hold of those little bits, is to try to utilize them for our own purposes rather than waiting on the, the Spirit to produce that fruit, to let that fruit grow and blossom, to let that fruit mature and ripen instead of trying to take hold of it for ourselves. I want to show you something. Maybe you're wondering why I brought a sack lunch to the sermon today. I have a mango that we found on sale at the grocery store. So excited to find a mango on sale. But the, the, the hard thing about buying fruit in Ohio is that my wife grew up in Florida where you can go out in the backyard and pick mangoes from the tree that are fantastic, that are, are huge and, and delicious. 
And so we find mangoes here in Ohio that have been picked way too soon. In fact, we looked through the whole, the whole display, and all of them were hard and green. And that's why this mango is in a brown bag, because it's not yet ripe. And putting fruit in a brown bag and letting it sit helps with the ripening process, from what I've heard and from what I've seen to be true. I'm excited about what this mango might taste like when it has time to fully ripen. If we were to cut this up and share it today, what we would find is a fruit that hasn't had time to fully sweeten, that hasn't had time to grow into its fullness, completeness, what, what God truly in, intends for it to be when it is mature and ripe. And I wanted to, to talk about this green fruit because that's, that's what happens when we think about these qualities that we already possess in our lives and we try and take hold of them for our purposes before the, the Spirit has time to grow them fully. What we get is a, a sour, hard, unfinished representation of what this fruit could become. And what we need to do is to allow the Holy Spirit room to work, time to work, to develop in us these traits to their fullness, to develop in us the, the kind of perfection that we see in God. The fruit of the Spirit that is produced in our lives grows and blossoms in us, especially as we spend time as we draw closer to the Lord, he, he brings about this process in us that as, he, as he grows us toward maturity. The Spirit works in us, making us look more and more like him, making us act and think more and more like him. And that's, that's how these fruit work. They, they are a part of that developmental process as we grow, as the Spirit works in us to develop us in that way. But that's not the only expression of, of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The Spirit also works miraculously in us providing ripened fruit for the moment that God needs it. And, and that creates a whole other set of difficulties for us to comprehend how the Spirit is working in our lives because there are moments when we have an opportunity to, to serve the Lord by, by connecting with another person. And, 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 and these moments sometimes present to us things that we're not quite ready to handle. And when we find ourselves in those moments and we lean into the Spirit and we depend on Him, He provides ripe fruit for us to pluck and to partake in and to use to bless other people. Not necessarily fruit that has been fully developed over time, but that's ready for the moment that we need it. And we think, wow, that was amazing that, that I had the patience that I needed for that moment, that I was able to love and forgive in this, in this very difficult time that God provided everything that I needed through the power of his Holy Spirit in me. And then, moving away from that moment that God provided for us, we think, well, because that, that fruit was there for the taking, it's always going to be there for the taking. And, and we, we move into another situation, and we, we reach to grab hold of that ripened fruit that was there for the moment that God needed it, and suddenly we're out of patience. And, and we're operating on what we think we should have developed, even though we haven't spent time allowing the Spirit to work in us. And we try and use that fruit for our own purposes, and we find ourselves lacking. The Holy Spirit can and will provide that mature fruit as we need it. But the process of developing us to, toward maturity, of, of, of ripening that fruit, is something that takes time. That, that requires his presence, like a plant in the sun that, that we water and provide nutrients to. We need to, to 
grow in the Lord to see these fruits fully develop and ripen in our lives. And it's important for us to, to realize the, the significance of that relationship that we have with God and His indwelling presence. Now, that's a bit about the way the Spirit works in us to produce those fruit. Let's, let's take some time to talk specifically about the first fruit on the list, the, the fruit of love that we, we recognize God producing in our lives. Now, we read in Scripture, we, we find a lot of information about love. In fact, uh, such variety in, in the description of love. The original language of the New Testament, Greek, has four separate words that describe the idea of love, where we have one word, and we use that word for everything that we love. I love steak. I love my kids. I love my wife. I love the people I work with. And, and we apply love in, in a variety of situations, and we just let that one word sustain through each of those meanings. Uh, the, the Greek language has a variety of words to talk about different aspects of love. There's a, a word that describes romantic love, physical intimacy. There's a, another separate word that, that describes a bond of friendship, loyalty, and togetherness. There's a, a third word that describes the love that's, that's produced in family, the caring and protection and guidance that comes. And this word is, is something that helps us understand our relationship with God as, as Father and we as His children. But the, the word that, that helps us truly understand the love of God is the last expression of love, of, of agape, a love that is driven by choice, by responsibility, uh, a choosing to love even when the person we love may not be necessarily deserving of that love, a choice to love when we know that there's the potential for disappointment, rejection, the kind of love that is benevolent, that is selfless, that is full of grace. That's the love that we see in God toward us. And it's the love that we strive to reproduce in our lives, that we know we need to depend on the Spirit to help us grow in. So we'll begin in our, our discovery of what this love looks like with a passage from the book of 1 Corinthians that, that Paul used to, to describe the way of love. And many of you know the, the chapter of, of love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's begin with the last verse in chapter 12. Here's what Paul says to us. Yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but I do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, Give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love. I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall fully know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. 
And the love that we read about in Scripture is selfless and pure. It is a perfect expression of what love should look like. And it helps us understand the way God regards us, the way God views us, the way God treats us with this perfect love. It's the kind of love that we would hope to have in our lives, the kind of love that we hope would, would sustain our relationships, the kind of love that would be evident always. And yet we know that it's a love that we need guidance to live in, that we need help to develop. This is a love that causes us to think outside of ourselves, that causes us to think about others rather than of our own needs. It's the kind of love that, that we talk about in, in, in marriage. When I, when I perform a wedding, this is a part of the, the wedding ceremony, this passage. It makes it weird for me on a Sunday morning to use it in a sermon because I feel like there should be two people getting, getting ready to, to get married. But, but the, the imagery is, is very clear, this, this pure example of love. And yet, we very rarely see this kind of love expressed. In the world today, love, love is distorted and twisted. And more often than not, we see a, a distorted view of what love looks like. We see relationships that are, that are controlling. We see people having difficulty together because of pride, because of entitlement, because of, of, of people being focused on their needs and their wants and their desires rather than looking outwardly, rather than considering the, the needs and the feelings and the desires of others. That we're so focused on self that, that our, the way that we express love is a very selfish expression of love. We've been conditioned to believe that, that love in, in any form, as long as it's mutually shared, affection should be celebrated. And yet that's not what Scripture tells us. That rather than pursuing desire, rather than, than seeking our own wants, what we should be doing is expressing love in a way that supports other people and lifts them up. That we should be modeling our lives after the example we have in Scripture and, and truly loving others in a way that that affirms them and supports them and helps them understand God better through our lives. That's the, the purpose of what love is. Not to gain for ourselves a companion, not to gain for ourselves the fulfillment of desire, no matter where we might find it. The, the, the truest expression of love is to honor others in the name of the Lord, not to manipulate them to get what we want, not to hurt them by, by using them for our own good and leaving them behind when they no longer can provide what we value, but instead to give of ourselves for others. And we can see how much we truly depend on the Holy Spirit to make this kind of love a reality in our lives because it's so foreign to our natural desires. It's so other than what we see people striving for in the world. We certainly can see how much we need to grow in our ability to love, how far short our efforts will fall if we try to attain this kind of love on our own. We need the indwelling presence of the Spirit to draw us out of our selfishness, to draw our perspective away from, from me and to help us see first the example of God and, and second to see other people the way God sees them. It's worthy of his love and needing us to be present in their lives to help them see it. 
And we understand the, the meaning of love from what Paul wrote. And we also see in the New Testament that the kind of mindset that's necessary for love to take place, the kind of practices that need to be put into place in our lives for, for love to be present. When Jesus talked about love, he, he described it in a very specific way. In Matthew chapter 22, he was, he was questioned and, and responded, beginning of verse 34, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested Jesus with this question. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments. This is God's intention for our lives. Love would be the foundation even of the, the, the Ten Commandments that he provided. And the Ten Commandments can be aligned underneath these two categories that, that they explain to us, they instruct us how to live our lives in relationship to God and in relationship to other people, that we should love God with all of who we are and continue to love the people around us with this kind of selfless, pure love that we read about. I find it interesting that God demonstrates to us what love looks like and then very clearly lays out the expectations that our lives should be defined by the same kind of love. We're instructed to live according to this command, to push outside of ourselves, put in the time and effort to care for others, to go above and beyond, not to take the easiest or shortest option, but to slow down and consider where other people are coming from, to consider what, what's been happening in their lives before we interact with them, to, to put ourselves in their shoes and, and to treat them with, with such love and respect and dignity that they would see in us this selfless kind of love. That they would see it throughout our lives. John's gospel, he recorded the words of Jesus issuing another command about love, very much similar to this explanation of the summary of the Ten Commandments. This is John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. From the instructions of Jesus, we discover that love identifies us as his. It's, it's the brand. It's the logo. It's the, it's the stamp in our lives that we would readily accept in any other form. We all have hats and shirts and shoes that have logos of companies, and we give them our allegiance by wearing those logos. Love is the, the, the trademark of being a Christian that we should embrace, that should be clearly seen in us all of the time, marked as those who belong to Christ, who are his disciples. Reminded of, I know there's like five or six galaxy were a part of this this made up world that that he was simply a toy that
Do you remember that moment when Woody lifted up his foot and there written in, in marker in the hand of a child was the name Andy? And Buzz looked down and saw on his foot the same name written there. And that's the moment when he understood his purpose. That he understood his value. That he belonged to Andy. And his purpose in life was to bring joy to this child. We think about what different about him. Now, that happens to me sometimes for other reasons, but, but it should be because of the love that's pouring out of our lives. It should be because people can see in us this, this incredible love that is so distinct and different because it's a perfect reflection of the perfect love of God. And that means in order for us to be recognized with this love that marks us as his, we have to be living in a way that's significantly different than the world around us. A love that looks like every other love doesn't mark us as his. The love of God has to be seen clearly and distinctly as we care for others. Because we care about them the way God desires for us to care about them, and we know that we can't do that on our own, that we need the indwelling presence of the Spirit to guide us to those moments, to supply us with the, this fruit that we need for those moments, and, and to sustain us with the strength and the wisdom and understanding to behave appropriately in each of those moments so that we can be a reflection of the love of God. We need the Spirit to help us because of our limitations. We all are hard to love. Let's be honest. People are difficult. In fact, Jesus knows how hard it is for us to love others. The book of Luke chapter 6 says this, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, don't withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those 
from whom you expect repayment. What, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Now, the love that the Spirit produces in us is a love that's an expression of grace. We think about loving others. We're already loving. But this idea of loving others, uh, of taking hold of this fruit of the Spirit, pushes us beyond those borders. Jesus pointed us to those who are enemies. I have a hard time saying, there's my enemy. That is not the kind of language I would use. So what does he say? What about people who hate you? Well, I'm sure there are some who mistreat you. There, there are people in this world probably if we had to make a list, there are people in this world because of our past experiences, because of the things that have happened in relationships, because of the way we've had to interact with people. There, there are a list of people that we know. If we tried to walk up and start a conversation with them, they wouldn't even want to give us the time of day. And Jesus says, those are the kind of people that you need to be thinking about right now. And step through that awkward tension and love them. Don't expect anything in return. Love them. Stop holding your grudge against them. Set down that burden that you've been carrying that's, that's been in the back of your mind, that's weighing you down, that's creating difficulty. Set it aside and choose love instead. This, this is a real problem. deal with, this hurt that we've, we've allowed to remain in us for so long, and we begin viewing that person as if they're worthy of some kind of punishment, and we begin to feel justified in being the punishment of God in their lives, of making things difficult for them, of being rude and downright nasty, because they have been awful, and they deserve that kind of treatment, don't they? And in order for us to get over that grudge, in order for us to move past that, we are going to have to deal with the pain that they've accomplished. But that's what Jesus tells us is the appropriate expression of this perfect love that the Spirit provides us, an expression of grace in their lives, recognizing that because of their behavior, they don't necessarily deserve love, but because of who they are, they do deserve love. Because they are children of God, because they are created beings in this world, they deserve the same kind of treatment that we would expect to receive. What would we hope from another person? Well, if I'm in the wrong, if I had done something horrible to someone else, I would hope for at least a chance to explain. I would hope for an opportunity to make it right. I would hope for at least the consideration to have a conversation and explain where I was coming from, why I behaved so horribly. I would hope for another chance. 
hope to find forgiveness. Maybe even hope to restore a relationship and reconcile what was lost and step back into that again. Those are my hopes. And I have to acknowledge what I hope for when I look at other people and be willing to extend that same kind of consideration that I would stop instead of, instead of turning away and brushing past that I would stop and allow them time allow them time to say whatever they're going to say to explain to, to have a second chance to offer forgiveness when we choose to forgive we are living in this perfect love but people don't always ask for forgiveness. People don't always even recognize when they've hurt us. Sometimes they don't know it. Sometimes they... They move past it and pretend like it never happened. Probably it's because they, they regret it and they feel awkward and they're not really sure how to explain it and make amends. But, but in our relationships, all of us probably can... can Imagine the face of a person who has really hurt us and never, ever come back to explain or ask for forgiveness. And yet each of those people still deserves to be forgiven. They still deserve a second chance. And that's the hard thing for us to make right in our own minds as Christians, that, that the people who have done us wrong, who have created real pain, still need to be forgiven, still need our love. And that's something that we have to depend on the Spirit to accomplish. Because our, our response to that person would be very minimal. It would be a, 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 a meager gesture of, of forgiveness at best. Why? Because we don't want to be hurt again. We don't want to allow them room in our lives to continue treating us the way that they once did. But we're called to follow the example of Christ in the way that we forgive others. And I have to ask myself, when Christ forgave my sin, when, when Christ expressed love perfectly to me, did he, did he stop when it was uncomfortable? No. Did he stop when it was painful? No. Did he stop when he realized it would require sacrifice? No. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. But I also recognize that I have to ask myself those same questions when I see people who have wronged me and never ever ask for forgiveness? Should I stop forgiving them when it's uncomfortable? Should I stop forgiving them when it hurts? Should I stop forgiving them when it requires sacrifice? When we choose to live, to live in love, when we choose to emulate the, the, the love that God has for us and reflect it into the world, it causes us to to do things that we never thought we could do on our own, to depend on the Spirit, to lead us down paths that we don't really want to go down. But when we do, we, we discover the, the incredible nature of this perfect love that builds relationships, that restores people, and that draws us into the Lord. It's not something that we do easily. 
It requires surrender. And it requires us to, to allow God to work in us and through us. Very specifically. In 1 John chapter 4, we read about how, how this takes place. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister, whom they have seen, cannot love God, whom they have not seen. And he has given this, us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. And here's the reality of what this fruit of the Spirit does. Love displays the image of God through our lives. It allows Him to be seen in us. And when we choose love, this perfect love, when we choose to care for people selflessly, purely, we become a reflection of God in the world. Choosing to love draws us closer to God. It helps us understand Him. It helps us discover more about Him. It, op it opens us up to the work of the Spirit to continue bringing about in us the ripened fruit that really is a reflection of, of Him in our lives. And God, God teaches us how to love because of the way he expressed love to us, before we ever deserved it, before we ever even knew about him. He loved us enough to send his son into the world to save us, knowing that we would need a demonstration, knowing that we would need a lifeline, knowing that we would need saved from our sin. He sent Jesus to save us. And though we may have seen and experienced God's love from other people in our lives, this is the first opportunity for each of us to experience God's love toward us through the sacrificial love of Jesus, through his sacrifice on the cross where love and grace were poured out to us. And we recognize how clearly his example is an expression of God's love in our lives. Would you join me in prayer? And God, we thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you for the example you've provided. We thank you for the freedom that you bring to us through your love. And God, we 
ask now that you would help us understand how to love like you love, that you would guide us to those moments and strengthen us for them. That you would supply by the power of your spirit in us everything that we need to love like you love and to become an example of you in this world. God, we need you for that. We hope for that to happen. And God, I pray that you would bring about healing in our lives as we step forward into this difficult process, that you would restore relationships, that you would heal our brokenness as we extend forgiveness and grace, as we live according to your love, that you would resolve the tension in our lives and help us understand the fullness that can only come by the power of your love. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to encourage you if you've never experienced the love of God through Jesus Christ his son that you would accept him as Lord and Savior that you would confess his name repent of your sins and be baptized as well and I also want to encourage those of you who have been Christians for a while to, to consider the people that were brought to mind this morning during the message those, those, those faces that, that came up for each of us. I wanna, I wanna challenge us, me included. I wanna challenge us to step toward those people this week, to, to allow God to work through us. That, that step is gonna be difficult. It's gonna be painful. But think about the love that we can live by. Think about the blessing that will come, not only in our lives, but in their lives, as we choose to extend forgiveness as we choose to love the way God loves.